BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome back to Nightmare Alley, the spooky little side street podcast in the regular Nightmare on Film Street feed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week we're joined by Tom Vaughn, screenwriter behind Winchester, that Helen Mirren ghost movie uh, that you definitely saw in the theater a couple years ago, and story developer behind the upcoming Haunting of the Queen Mary, directed by Gary Shore, who you may remember from Dracula Untold, came out a few years ago, the Dracula prequel movie that had that dope scene where Dracula like falls off a cliff and, and he's turns like, into I'm bats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh... Traditionally, he's a cinematographer uh, turned director. This movie's very visual. It's got some really great... It's such a weird thing to say, but like, the transitions in this movie? Holy shit. Man, this boat, <laughs> vast. It's <laughs> It's got a lot of really cool camera work. It's, it makes some really interesting choices, and... Uh, There's some really good scares in it. Yeah, that's kind of all that really counts when it comes to a ghost movie, right? Yeah, we won't spoil them because they're really good. If you are unfamiliar with the Queen Mary, it is maybe one of the most iconic uh, hauntings in North America, but it's not a haunted house. It's a ship, uh, a very, very big ship, and it's since been docked and turned into a tourist destination in California somewhere, and you can stay on the Queen Mary, you can stay in one of the haunted rooms, you can go on a ghost tour. It's very, very, very big, so I think you could spend a whole day there and maybe get haunted or lost or something fun. Well, I mean, heck, as you're going to hear Tom talk about, you can spend the night there doing ghost hunting expeditions. Yeah, I don't know if you could get me down in the like bottom half of the ship in the middle of you know the day, but going down there at 4 a.m. is a definite no. That's a definite no. That is a hard no. N- yeah, and there's no uh, there's no sunlight down there. There's also no hope, <laughs> <laughs> no chance of survival if you twist your ankle. A lot of stairs, I would assume, basing that just on Jason Takes Manhattan. The bottom half of those ships. <laughs> They look like they got a lot of stairs. Anyway, we're here talking about the about crafting scares, about the true ghost stories behind one of the most haunted locations in America. And we also find a little bit of time to talk about the writer's strike happening right now in Hollywood. Yeah, this is kind of a different episode for us. 
we only talk about the movie, you know, like oh, maybe 15 minutes, we're mainly talking about horror as it pertains to screenwriting and story development. And yeah, one of the biggest things in screenwriting right now is the big strike in Hollywood. So if you are interested in that side of the horror film world, this will be a good episode for you. Yeah, especially if you're an aspiring screenwriter, because one, good to know what the prospects of your future job are going to be. <laughs> but also Tom, a brilliant mind in screenwriting, like truly like one of the best people uh, to talk about screenwriting as a craft. In fact, he actually teaches screenwriting. And I think you're really going to enjoy everything he has to say about that art form. But this is a bit of a long episode, so we will not drag on with the intro and we will get into it. Here is our conversation with Tom Vaughn. The RMS Queen Mary is a frightened ship. And she carries with her a premonition. Hello? Of death. Imagine taking a tour of the Queen Mary. Not as it is now, but as it was in 1938. And the stranger stories. Ghost stories? On the haunted tour? Hi, Mom. Dad! Hello? Hello? Join our tour guides as they lead you into the depths to connect with spirits who still call the ship home. Lucas! If you stay here, you'll get trapped. I can't leave my son alone here. Stay with me. Forever. David Ratch, traveling third class with his family. Piers, Mr. Ratch lost his senses sometime after dinner. Captain! There's been a murder! What did you do to my husband? He's with the ship. No. Happy Halloween! I need to leave the ship! Although we're famous for our fiction, sometimes facts can be much stranger. <laughs> well, Tom, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today, man. Oh, um, thanks for having me. I'm delighted. Yeah, we're really excited to talk about ghosts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I've been listening to the podcast uh, so often, so a part of me is secretly have been hoping to ever to be a guest. So. Well, now that you're Hollywood's official ghost guy, I mean, after Winchester and now Queen Mary, you seem to be the go-to for like turning nonfiction ghost stories into fictional ghost stories. <laughs> Yes, uh, that is Brett, the producer, who who loves finding uh, haunted institutions and buildings that have a reputation and then uh, making a movie out of it. So, so far, so good. How long had you been obsessed with the haunting of the Queen or the Queen Mary, at least like the haunted parts of the Queen Mary? <laughs> yeah, the haunted part. I remember going to the Queen Mary when I was a kid. 
Uh, we lived in California for three or four years. So my dad got transferred there and then transferred away. And, and you know, that's funny because I actually don't remember being on the Queen Mary, but I remember pictures of the Queen Mary. So like huh. I was like three or four years old where I've been looking at pictures of me as a child on the Queen Mary. And it's one of those memories that isn't an actual memory. It's a memory of being told about the memory and seeing pictures of it. So I had an idea about the Queen Mary. And then when uh, I came on to the project, I was the second writer on the project. I was able to to visit the Queen Mary. Uh, I spent a night there doing the ghost hunting stuff. At oh, the, fun. In the lower levels. Oh, it was great. It was really, really great. Just doing tons and tons of research. And they are so many stories and so many sightings. And the ghosts have names. They know who the ghosts are. They know what their personalities are. It, it's really, it, it's a uh, it's a fun mythology down there. That's really cool. Is there like a haunted suite as kind of in the movie? Like, is there a particular suite? That oh, yeah. Like, no, that. This is the one. <laughs> that, that suite is based off of uh, what is the allegedly the most haunted suite in, in the Queen Mary. Of course so that, it is. <laughs> yes, that's where. That's what the research is for. So you know what number to put on the hotel room uh, with within the movie. So. Well, now it's going to be like back booked and nobody's going to be able to get into it. <laughs> uh, I think that's their hope. So what they'll probably <laughs> do is just move the numbers around and then have like five. Five of that room. <laughs> you know, like whatever those are. I love the I love the that crafty move. Like this whole floor, all all of the oh. rooms are all numbered <laughs> yes. the same. Each one. It's like when you when you move to LA and you visit uh different old apartments, every single one used to be owned by Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. When you go to different towns, everybody's got like a Walt Disney building. Like he stayed here one one week in college and this is the Walt building. <laughs> there was there was one time we did a trip and Every city we went to, somebody was just like, you know, this is Houdini's town. Like, who, you know, he grew up somewhere else, but this this town is apparently his favorite. Yeah, when he came in, he said, "My town." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the haunted room. What's the what is the story? Like, what is the the real haunting story? Uh, it's a good question. There, there is no back murder or anything like oh. that. There's no story like that. It just seems to be a room where a ghost feels very, very comfortable. You know, the little girl, Jackie, is based off of one of the spirits that is at uh, the Queen Mary that that they see all the time. They see the young girl, Jackie. That's cool. Does she dance? Yeah. Uh, no, that that was added in by Gary. That was <laughs> okay. uh, Gary, Gary, the director. Ooh, and it's really it's Gary's movie. So I was the second of three writers on it. Uh, the first writer, then I came in to rewrite, and then Gary came in to rewrite. So I ended up with story credit, uh, which means basically I had an influence on, I wouldn't say the structure, but the characters, the basic premise, uh, some of the scares are mine. But Gary came in and Gary, you know, what the things that he found inter interesting about the story were a little different. So he tackled that, did, did a full you know, rewrite of his own. So it it's really Gary's movie now. Uh, but I am a co-producer, so I've been involved. And when they were shooting in the UK, I would get updates and 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 still, you know, and obviously the producer, Brett Tomberlin, is 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 a good friend of mine as well. So I I, I feel some personal investment in in the story, even though creatively I can't I can't say I had too much influence on it. 
Did you get any EMF reading? Like, I know there's no, like, huge backstory to, to tell about that haunted room, but, like, when you were doing your own ghost investigation, was that a room that sort of, like, dinged on the on the meter? Uh, well, we spent, when I went down and did the ghost hunting, we actually went down to the lower depths. And okay. in the film, you'll see, you'll see some of those lower depths and one of the ghosts, the origin stories of the ghost who gets crushed in the door. And that's, that's an actual story that happened oh, fuck. Uh, where one of the workers got crushed in the door. And then people early on in the, in the fifties and sixties who had no idea of that story would have sightings of this man. They would kind of report those stories. And then eventually someone started to collect all these stories of these spirits and ghosts and then would do research and find like, oh, we think it's the ensign who died in the door. <laughs> and it is a true story that the Queen Mary uh, hit one of the escort ships oh, uh, okay. during World War II. Nearly every man in the escort ship drowned. Um, I think it was something like 75% because wow. the Queen Mary was, it was during the war and they would not slow down for anything because of the Nazi wolf packs. Shoot. And they just kept going and there was just barely a scratch on the Queen Mary wow. and the Queen Mary kept going. And then the story of the Poseidon adventure. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the old, you guys know movies for goodness sake. <laughs> Poseidon adventure. Yeah. I had a dad. Uh, he showed that movie. To I me. mean, I went on the yeah. ride in universal. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that was based off of a wave that hit the Queen Mary. Oh, oh. yeah. The Queen Mary got hit by a rogue wave. And um, so there was just a lot of questions of like, why is the Queen Mary so blessed? Why do all <laughs> these disastrous things happen to the Queen Mary? And it just keeps chugging along and chugging along. And so even when it got decommissioned, they purchased the Queen Mary and turned it into a hotel uh, outside of Long Beach. And so even after it was no longer a ship, it found its way to keep surviving and surviving. And that was kind of the kernel of the story itself, which was how does the Queen Mary against all odds just keep going and going and going? And that, that was the origin of, of the ghost story that we came by. And then it's haunted as well. And so <laughs> like, just combining all these things and then, you know, trying to create a narrative out of, out of uh, you know, these very spooky stories. And I think just the longevity too, like regardless of, you know, like the, the murders and the bowels of the ship, like just having something like go on for so long, like you're bound to have stories. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's life and death and the things still exist. Like, like, you know, those insane asylums that are abandoned, like have horror stories, <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like, like, like House on Haunted Hill. One of my, one of my little favorites from the nineties of like, there's no way you're going to have this old abandoned mental hospital where there isn't just decades of negative energy and death and misery that if there are ghosts, that's where they're going. Like, oh, that's yeah. like that's where they're going to pop up. Yeah. Oh. Like, if it's possible to make an imprint in time, it's those places that could do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I'm not even sure how much I believe in ghosts, but I absolutely believe in negative energy. I absolutely believe in, in an energy that can make a mark on your surroundings and, and have an effect on people later on. Yeah. And I think there's a reason, too, that like haunted places all look the same, like whether or not, you know, somebody got crushed in the door in the bottom of the Queen Mary, like the bowels of a ship are pretty scary on yeah. their own. 
Oh, yeah. Like, who wants no, to just really... walk around one with a flashlight? Like, not me. <laughs> <laughs> when we went down there, like, we were there till like, 4 a.m., and we were recording on our iPhone because, of, you know, they were teaching us about, like, you might not hear the sound the first time, <laughs> but when you play it back, you might be able to hear the ghost. And they would play audios of, like, very clear voices of saying like well we didn't hear this the first time when we played it back we heard this and it's like very clear like hello <laughs> <laughs> like, where, the, where the hell did that come from <laughs> so you're down there and and your first instinct is just to be kind of ironically distant to it yeah. of like okay i'll talk to them but i don't really believe it and so me and my friend jesse we decided, me and her, we're like, okay, if we're gonna do this, just take let's just take this seriously. Let's let's commit to it. Let's not have because we're both improvisers, so like ironic distance is like <laughs> like you know just a crime. So <laughs> like we're gonna try to be committed to it, and then the moment you feel committed to it, and the moment you're actually trying to reach out to someone, you immediately start apologizing to them. Mm. You, you start to feel bad of like, oh, man, you live here and I'm in your home and I'm bothering you. And so you're like, Jackie, are you there? Jack, I'm sorry to bother you, Jackie. Are you there? <laughs> are you, like, I know, I know like every weekend someone comes down here and starts bugging you and I apologize. But if you're there, we just kind of want to hang out. And like, it's just a tremendous guilt complex hits you and then you like you turn to each other and go oh all right yeah like probably shouldn't be in these people's homes and just like <laughs> bugging them you like perform ghost perform <laughs> yeah it's exactly what you're like hey <laughs> hey clown ghost do a show what a what a range of emotions to go from just like ironic engagement to just guilt like ah oh, we shouldn't yeah, be doing this just immediately just like oh we're bad people what a weird switch to flip so like you would say hands down you don't believe in ghosts uh uh no no okay no i i can't i can't rule it out myself i just have a hard time with the, the, just the how do they re like what are the physics of remembering what are the physics the one thing that really does kind of interest me is the idea of ghosts repeating the same pattern over and over again that kind of makes some sense to me of like that imprint and that energy but the idea of a ghost retaining memory while walking around in the spiritual world like i have a hard time with the physics of that mm -hmm. i'm like how does that quite make sense but the idea of a traumatic event making an imprint and repeating itself and that energy, I can see a version of, of that making physical sense. Uh, because I do believe like the energy, like we all carry an energy, we all have an energy and our spirit has an energy and, you know, energy can't be destroyed. It just transforms into something else. It transforms into some other kind of energy. So in that sense, I, I tend to believe in, in some way we move on and we carry forth in some way, shape or form, how we carry memories with us that, that, that is, that's hard for me to kind of put my you know, my hands around. Yeah. You think of it as kind of like, it's a little bit hokey, but like human beings, like living human beings have been able to do that, like capture those memories on film. And like, we're able to replay moments ourselves. So 
if if we're able to do that with the technology that we've created out of natural things, then why couldn't the natural world be able to do some variation of that on its own? Yeah, yeah, and and there's so much we don't understand of like about like the quantum level and and how many of our rules don't apply down there. I, I I'm not sure I believe the Ant Man. Mm. There's another universe down there version of it, but but like there are so many paradoxes that don't make sense on our normal level that it's it's got to keep the door open for things we don't understand and and gosh knows like how many things we understand now that we did not understand 2000 years ago that would have just blown people away 2000 years ago if we were to explain it to them um so you know i think everybody always thinks their understanding of their time is like the end all of like oh well we yeah we all we get everything now <laughs> we've silly, stopped progress has yeah, stopped here <laughs> yeah those silly people from hundreds of years ago they didn't get a thing but we <laughs> understand it all now <laughs> they'll, they'll think we're idiots two three hundred years from now oh definitely I'm sure yeah. F- yeah fingers crossed down the road we can i don't know like right now the ghost thing Maybe it's just because we're all scared to death, but like it's always the the repeating loop thing is always the worst part of your life. Like, why why can't the fucking ghost just have a nice day, like a picnic? Like, oh, this was the best day I ever had. Yeah, like all the ghosts are getting proposed to again and again. It's all (laughs) just engagement ghosts. I love my wedding day. That was an awesome day. Yeah, every wedding venue, every cool barn you've seen on Pinterest also haunted. But (laughs) every rustic chic barn is just filled with ghosts. And that's yeah, and that's could, why you have such a nice day because you're feeding off that good energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could level up in death, but no, it's always <laughs> it's always the hard stuff. So while you guys were doing the the ghost tour, did you personally experience anything? Uh, I did not. No, I, I I did not experience anything. But I was only there for one day, and you know. And you were apologizing to the ghosts. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, Jackie may be just completely bored of people apologizing to her as well. <laughs> you know, like you don't know what brings her out. But I loved those recordings. I loved listening to those recordings of like clear voices talking. And you know that that guy, he's a true believer. The guy who gave us the tour. He was not a con man. He was not trying to trick us. He genuinely believed what he was sharing. And and I found that comforting. Whether he's wrong or right, God knows I have I have beliefs that are probably absurd. Uh, but the sincerity was something that I really appreciated. And it was fun being down there, and it was fun going through that tour. And to have a haunted place like that that's been there for so long that they know the spirits. Like they know, like their personalities. Oh, this one's a bit of a jokester. This one likes to like. This one's really shy. Doesn't really come out very often, and like that sort of thing was was really really fascinating. And I do hope we get some more chances to explore that mythology because it's real and it's there. And and the Queen Mary has so much history. It's such an interesting place, and they they are definitely struggling to uh, the upkeep. You know, we talk about it in the movie of of like just upkeeping this thing is is kind of expensive, but it's a it's a lovely weekend. It's a lovely night. It's I, I you know, I would really love to go back and stay on the Queen Mary again. 
Yeah, I think the best thing that could happen for for the the hotel now is is definitely to have like a ten, ten more horror movies just like this. Yeah, it's crazy yeah. that it took till twenty twenty three for such a known legend. Like it's on every you know ten most haunted places in America list, every single one. And it's crazy yeah. that this is the first time, even with Winchester too. It's crazy that it took so long into you know horror's history to to be a movie. Yeah, and this one took a while. You know, like this took. For a total since I got involved, probably eight years. Wow. Eight, wow. Years, eight years to get made. He was the first writer. Then I came on. Uh, and then, you know, we had a we had two different directors at earlier times that didn't quite work out. Uh, then we were about to do a go out to casting. And then we um, we had a pause and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And so then we ended up they ended up shooting we were one of the first movies back in production uh for covid in the uk and uh you know they shot this on a sound stage in the uk and they would shoot scenes with different characters that were going to be on the queen mary so when they came back and they shot more days on the queen mary they were able to put like Alice Eve into because they shot her on the green screen, be able to put her and insert her into scenes that were uh, on the Queen Mary. And so uh, Gary, who's a very good shooter, the Gary Shore, the director, uh, who I think his great strength is just visually like he's just a visually beautiful shooter and his technical understanding of everything is top notch as well. And I, I know for me, if I had to shoot a scene on two different continents uh, and remain continuity and then have someone watch the movie and not even notice that this character was shot on one continent and this character was shot on another continent. I I would not have been able to track that myself as a director. I I think I would have found that very very challenging and it's seamless in the movie you'd never notice it no you're you're telling us this and we're like wow and even too just it being such a claustrophobic like you want it to be claustrophobic it's the queen mary that's part of what's scary about it is like there's not a lot of windows when you get down there um yeah that's got to be completely difficult to shoot yeah and and they were all sets that were for the most part built uh gary was really influenced by the shining as far as the like the hotel scenes uh, I, I was expecting, you know, like a big wheel at some point, uh, you know, <laughs> like running through the yeah. halls. Uh, but like that was not accidental. Like there, there's a lot of uh, influence of the creepiness of this hotel and, uh, you know, the hotel itself being haunted. Yeah, like we, you know, not necessarily full disclosure, but we watched uh, Queen Mary and then the yesterday went to go see The Last Voyage of Demeter and we need more boat horror, man. <laughs> yeah. How was Demeter? It's good. It was good. Um, yeah. the, the vampire stuff was obviously the best. Like, I love yeah. me and Nosferatu Dracula. So I was I was living for those scenes. But again, too, like, there's not a whole lot you can you can do when you're isolated on like a sailing boat. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's either yeah. a great strength or a, a very big problem you got to overcome. A lot yeah. of the movie was like, I'm going to go walk over to this side of the boat and then get eaten. And then everybody's <laughs> like, where did he go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I guess that is because I my first impression was, oh, it's alien with the vampire. Oh, kind of. Uh, yeah, shit. On a boat. But then now you mentioned I was like, yeah, I guess the spaceship is pretty vast, though. You've got you've got a lot more 
area like with a boat is like well you know there's stern and starboard and you yeah. know like <laughs> if one person is missing there's really only like one other spot they could be <laughs> yeah in uh, a but it's such belly. a no-brainer <laughs> idea of like oh yeah take that take that thing mentioned in dracula and like do the boat like it's such a no-brainer and i found out recently that apparently that movie had a long development as well oh okay that they uh, yeah. have been Different directors on board, different writers, different people trying to tackle it. It's it's such an interesting dilemma with a movie of having a director come on board, and and I've you know this is this is the eighth movie uh, that I've been involved with. Um, this is the first movie where I was the second writer. So like out of out of the other seven movies, I was either the first writer or the last writer. This is the first movie where I was the middle writer. So that that was an interesting uh, experience in itself to not be the first one or the last one, <laughs> and like you're just involved. Uh, but it, there there is a really interesting dynamic of you have multiple directors come on to a project because the first thing a director does is here's my notes. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they do, and they go and they want to make it more of their own, like the things that interest them. They want more of that. The things that don't interest them, they want less of that. And then for some reason, that director doesn't work out. They either get fired, they move on to another project, or, you know, like they they want to make the movie now, but no, like the timing doesn't work out. And, and like, you want to make this movie next year, but they're already booked for next year. And so they move on. And then another director comes in and you have all that residue from the last director. But now this new director doesn't find what he found interesting, interesting. Mm. He founds, finds this other thing more interesting. And so you have this code, this programming that is like people would describe Microsoft Windows, which was like new programming on top of old programming, on top of old code and all old code. And it just gets bloated and it gets bloated. And then at some point, someone's got to come in and and go like, we need to start fresh because we've got rewrite after rewrite after rewrite. You mentioned this character, but this character died three rewrites ago and hasn't been in this movie in four (laughs) years. So we probably need to cut this name out and like that sort of thing. Uh, It's a real it's a real challenge. And, uh, you know, for movies like like Queen Mary and Demeter, like that, that have this long process uh, you know, sometimes someone's got to come in and go, we got to start from scratch. We got to like, we've got to clean this thing up. And for the producers, for the directors, for all those people involved of like, how do you, how do you stay focused on the current story you're telling? Um, it, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic within the industry and just like the, the mini miracle any movie getting made is. Yeah, when you when you think about movies being collaborative, you think more about like, oh, on the day you've got multiple people doing multiple jobs, yeah. but it's it's even more so, you know, before you even get to that. It's Oh yeah. It's yeah. combative before it's collaborative, I guess. Yeah, sometimes it can be combative, you know, and that and that's why you need someone with a very clear vision. Because once the director comes on board, for the most part, they tend to be the decision maker. There are there are times with like a studio film where they'll bring on a young director like who's been doing great. This is their first film. And then that director can be well protected within the machinery. Marvel, for example, is really well known for having a machinery in place that will protect 
a director who's in that machinery for the first time. Like they will, they will have so much at their disposal to protect them. They'll have experienced producers to protect them. And so that, that turns out really well. And when, but when you have independent films like Queen Mary or, you know, smaller studio films, you don't necessarily have that, that kind of protection. So, you know, someone's got to have that clear, confident vision of what the story is, what story we're telling and what helps that story and what doesn't help that story. And I know that there are still, you know, like you mentioned, there's multiple writers. You're kind of one in the middle. I know there are still some scares that you've built that are that are in the final product. Uh, and you, you mentioned the sincerity of the guy giving the ghost tour. Do you think the sincerity of believing in ghosts is important when you're first sitting down to, to craft a scare? Oh, oh yeah. No, you've got a, you know, like it's, it's the same thing with like writing a, an antagonist. Like you've, you've got to see their point of view and embrace like what they're trying to do, have empathy for them. So, you know, when you see the movie there, the, the pool is the center of the movie because the pool is the center of the mythology of the Queen Mary ghost. Like that's where uh, a huge amount of the ghosts center around. Like if you go to visit the pool at the Queen Mary, you are statistically more likely to see a ghost than Whoa. anywhere else. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like there's just more sightings there. And so we made that the center. And of course it's a mythology. So you have to figure out a way to, well, how do we like, we need to explain this to the audience mm-hmm. of why this is the center. So the, the initial scare at the Queen Mary uh, that involves ghosts. There's there's some murders early on in the. In there's the some murders, but yeah. there's some murders. <laughs> like the, the passive language, and then murders <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah. Yada yada um, yada. They're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> so like designing those scares, designing, um, and it's fun because it's a little it's a little boy. And those are always fun because you've always had that dynamic with the audience of like, are you really going to kill the boy? <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna go that far? Are you gonna kill the boy? Or are you not gonna kill the boy? There was there was uh, a so, there was a really good tug of war in that sequence. Or you're just like, oh, yeah. I, I think this kid's fine. Oh, maybe maybe he's no, not gonna make oh, it out no, of this. I don't oh, know. Wait. Oh, maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, he's back. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we definitely had a, a lot of fun with that. Of. Uh, just the misdirection. I mean, scare scenes are always so much fun of trying to figure out a way because audiences just know scare so well right now. Like, yeah. we know, we know what, like, we know what's going to happen. And so sometimes it's, it's just not even, they know what's going to happen. How do we distract them for one second? But even then, like the distraction comes, the audience goes, they're distracting me for one second because I know this scare set is going to come. So it, it, is, it is a real challenge of how do you get that sleight of hand? And then how do you make a genuine scare that moves the story forward as well? And I know some of my favorite scares of the last you know, 15 years uh, like the conjuring they did they do such a good job in the conjuring of intellectually and emotionally engaging the magic trick of sleight of hand and then following through with the scare and like oh my god we we not only did we turn it up to 10 but we turned it up to 10 for like 20 seconds <laughs> and then, like the, the ability to do that is is quite impressive so uh, yeah, I, I love, and it's just like anything. It's like a, it's 
like the last script uh, that I wrote, the one, you know, that hopefully we'll do after the strike is an, is an action comedy and creating those set pieces that are both action and comedic uh, of like, what is the set piece? And it's just a mini movie. It's this mini gag. It's, it's, um, uh, it, it's its own setup and its own structure and taking the audience through that ride from moment to moment to moment and anticipating that an audience knows exactly what the expectation is and then how do you undermine that it's just a fun challenge there's one thing that's kind of unique to horror when it comes to writing screenplays is that you actually get to be really kind of gluttonous with those scare sequences because most most rules with screenwriting is like this scene can't be more than two minutes. Don't don't have a, a scene that's more than two pages. The audience will be bored. They won't like it. But with scares, yeah. it's like give them five or more pages of this <laughs> and they're going to love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's true of like, no, we'll do we'll give them one more minute. We'll give them because... Again, the expectations is like, well, they expect this thing to be over in two minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. Give them four minutes. Why? Because they don't expect it. <laughs> like that one. <laughs> it's like like uh, like a a a a David Lynch scream of like <laughs> what, what what makes it so interesting because it goes on for so long. <laughs> yeah. Like you just expect it to be over, and he's got he's not even halfway done. <laughs> I mean that's true about so many David Lynch things. There's that there, there's that scene in uh, Twin Peaks: The Return where we're just watching a guy fucking sweep the floor for like a minute and a half. You're like, when's this gonna yeah. end? Also, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, and then as soon as you say when's this gonna end, it's gonna keep going. Yeah, like, like that's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> yeah, and you're gonna sit and watch it, and you're gonna like it. <laughs> and you're gonna like it. I do. And you're gonna call it Lynchian. <laughs> yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc uh i so i might be spoiling some of your screenwriting secrets here but um we've actually been developing a script together uh, a spooky one that hopefully we'll see the light of day i'm very Um, excited about it (laughs) but there's there's one part of wisdom that you gave me and in working on this script that i really love is that a good horror movie should have like five really good scare sequences and on top of having a good story like you really need to nail down those scenes um which i think is kind of unique to horror <laughs> you turn into jennifer tilly there for i'm a losing second. my voice uh which i which i think is kind of unique to horror in that you have to have these special moments like really catering to horror fans that they're really going to enjoy um do you want to talk a little bit about developing a scare sequence and what that kind of entails yeah, for those who don't know, I I I, I teach screenwriting as well at uh, storyandplot.com. And uh I I've been writing professionally for about 27 years now 
and I've been teaching for a little over 20 years. So I consider myself both a writer and a teacher. And when I when I talk about screenwriting, I I can definitely accidentally slip into to teacher mode because it, it just tends to be how I how I think. No, I love um, it. Half of the time when we when we have like meetings together, we're working on a script, but I'm also taking notes about like screenwriting as a whole. <laughs> oh, great, great. Uh, yeah, I've I've had so much fun uh, developing this this script together. Um, so yeah, there is the idea, and it originated from uh, Howard Hawks. He's someone asked him like what a great fi- what a great film was, and his answer was um, three good scenes, no bad ones. <laughs> and which I always thought was like so simple and so smart uh, because it is what what we remember in movies are scenes. Like those are the things, the moments, the scenes, and then bad ones. Those are things that we remember too. Like we absolutely remember a bad movie, and it's why when people ask us. Like, hey, what'd you think of this movie? There's something about that question that we will say, oh, we really liked it. But we also want that person to know that we realized that that one scene was bad. Like we weren't <laughs> by that scene. So we, we, we'll, we will say, oh, it was really good, except for that one moment. Because we, we don't want them to know, to think like, oh yeah, like that was lost on us that that scene did not work. Or like, well, except for the ending. Like, don't think I'm That's one of those common, people yeah. who thought that ending was good. <laughs> Everything else was good. And so we remembered those bad scenes. And uh, so that that combination of those two things of three good scenes, no bad ones. And I think over the last few decades with the competition of different media, uh, audiences becoming much more engaged um, and movies to a certain degree, becoming an even bigger part of our lives that I, I've kind of converted it to, you know, five great scenes, no bad ones, minimum. And whatever those great scenes are, it just depends on what your genre is and what your fun is of that movie. Like an action scene is going to have a very different kind of great scene or an action film is like, it's going to be action scenes. That's going to be your currency. Like what is the emotion you're trading with, with the audience? And if it's a Hitchcock movie, it's going to be tension and suspense. If it's a horror movie, well, there's different kinds. It could be a James Wan horror movie. It could be a slasher movie. You know, like Friday the 13th, their great scenes were the kills. Like, like what kind of cool kill are you going to have? I want to have at least five original neat kills for that type of movie. So you, you break that down, whatever that currency is, like what is the fun you're offering? Like with the action comedy that I wrote, the the basically the currency was is this idiot is in a world that he has no no business being in, and how does he screw it up, and how do we humiliate him, and how do we embarrass him <laughs> as he goes through this story? Um, so like that was the fun. So as you create these scenes, as you create these uh, moments of horror. For a ghost, a ghost story is going to have very different than, um, you know, like a like a, a mass killer of what's the unique thing? What's the fun of that particular uh, great scene like it? Gary Dauberman, like his his he would create scenes that are were like fairly, fairly traditional of, oh, someone notices something weird. Mm hmm. Like something peculiar, which is a lot to do with what we find creepy. 
of something slightly unusual about something that should be normal, like a creepy smile that shouldn't be that creepy, but that creepiness catches our eye. Mm-hmm. There's something insincere about that creepy moment. And it would consistently have someone notices something creepy. They would pause. They would look deeper and longer at the creepy thing. And then it would get slightly more creepy. And then there would be a distraction or sleight of hand that would turn them away to something normal. And then they would look back at the creepy thing and the creepy thing would be even more creepy. Yeah. And then it would eventually go to some kind of explosion of fear. And and I think this was a big lesson that he learned by working with James Wan, because we talked about this. James Wan was really, really good at and is really, really good at having that explosion of fear. But once you have that explosion of fear, once you turn it up to 10, where can you go with that? Mm -hmm. You can either have this character get murdered and killed and removed from the story or it's going to get less scary immediately because they're not going to die yeah and so that thing oh the thing that we think is this big threat is not going to kill the young girl that we thought there's no way to do that without it getting less scary Mm -hmm. and so what james wan will do every time is he will cut immediately away out of getting to number 10 he will cut away from it and then cut to hearing someone hear them scream. And then they would run up the stairs or run through the house and then open the door and then the scare would be done. Yeah, and I'm thinking were... immediately of that moment in The Conjuring where there's like the witch on the top of the wardrobe. Yes. And, oh, and yeah. like you see her and you're like, we shouldn't be seeing her yet. Why are we seeing her? And then we cut away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then like he turns up the audio to like 11 and yeah. like she jumps off. And But as soon as she jumps on that girl, There's nowhere to go with that moment Mm -hmm. except to either kill her, that kill the girl, or it gets less scary. Because we see too much of the witch. Like, we see her movement. We see too much, and we know the girl's not a threat. She's not going to die. We don't want to see them wrestling around the floor (laughs) because it's not (laughs) as scary. And so Juan knows this, being a master at this, and so he'll cut away. And, you know, Livingstone's coming home, and he hears the scares, and then he runs up the steps, and then... And so it is knowing when you're turning up the fear and knowing when to get the hell out because there's nowhere to go but down. Now, if that if that woman on on the dresser has a knife and kills <laughs> that little girl, we can see that and be absolutely horrified by that. Like that will creep us the hell out because like later we do see these kids being thrown around by their hair and now there's physical danger now there's physical and so we want to see that because there's still one more level we could go mm-hmm. where you could kill those kids and like because that's always the threat of like what is the threat and tension as i teach it in my classes all tension is is what the audience fears will happen plus what the audience hopes will happen and if you can max those two things out of like having us at it like a maximum fear of oh my god this person can die and also a maximum hope of someone needs to save them or get away that creates tension like that's what it's all about is giving them because once you max out on one and not the other then you've got something else which is fine like watching a girl get killed or slaughtered has no tension 
because it's only horror at that point. Mm -hmm. And it's why it's why torture porn tends to have like a limited audience because there's mm -hmm. not so much tension to it. It's more just horror. Yeah. And there's an absolute place for horror. I mean, it's called horror for a reason, but it's not necessarily tension. Yeah, like you need to have her fighting for a knife that's like just out of reach. Yeah, yeah, because then you're like, oh, my God, I hope she gets that knife and she fights off and she fights off. But once she's tied up and there is no hope, it is it is genuine horror. My my brother Lance, he, um, I, I consider Lance just one of the best observers of horror out there. He has a, a website called Kinder Trauma and he's he loves horror. Like horror, horror, and we have our we have disagreements about it all the time. <laughs> and he's like, to, and he'll explain to me. He's like, Tom, it's called horror for a reason. <laughs> it's supposed to horrify you, and, and like it's too much. It's too depressing. He's like, yeah, it's called horror. <laughs> so tough enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you wanted to watch horror and you got horrified. What did you expect? I wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up or not, because like we're talking about a kid almost maybe possibly getting killed in a pool. And then we're now we're talking about the kids and the conjuring. And, like <laughs> I had known this about your brother and correct me if I'm wrong. He uh, he he like kind of coined the the term kinder trauma, right? Yeah, that 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 was his phrase that he he coined it. He even trademarked it at one point. Good for <laughs> He's him. like, it's trademark. I hope he doesn't Cause, yeah, sue he... us because we use it on the website all the time. All the fucking <laughs> time. All the time. <laughs> I do. I get a little protective because I'll see someone on Twitter talking about, hey, what's your kinder trauma? And I was like, that's not your word. <laughs> <laughs> you can't use that word. Uh, but it it is neat. He coined the phrase and now it's kind of part of our, our, our vernacular. So oh, like, yeah. it's. Yeah, I'm really proud of him in that for that. Yeah. It's a great word and it and it explains this like universal experience for every horror fan. Like we all had we all had a point where we watched a horror movie way too early and it changed us forever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Now you're talking about like, why didn't anyone in uh, make a, a Queen Mary movie before of like, well, why didn't anyone coin that phrase before? Exactly. You're like, and yeah, you need you need a human element in order to recognize those things. And then same with building tension in scenes like you're putting yourself in the position of the audience and imagining yeah. what they feel and playing with that like an alchemist. And I just don't think that's something AI is capable of doing because it can't. Yeah. This, to, to, just to do a very oh, strong great, segue great over. Great transition <laughs> over to the strike, John. We did. We got into WGA strike territory. <laughs> Look well, at you go. Well, that's 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 all I'm getting. At. Like the AI can only pull from from material. It doesn't understand it necessarily steal. the emotion. Yeah. Okay. Let's look. Let's yeah. say it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't even steal. It doesn't even steal because I. This is so funny. I find you know that that expression. Amateurs borrow. Great artists steal. Yes. So that's Quentin Tarantino's thought, rule. <laughs> yeah, I I always I never understood that phrase. I never understood that phrase. And then I and like literally this year I went, oh, I think I get it. <laughs> so <laughs> at, at 27 years is like, oh, when you mean by steal is like you own it now. You make it your own. Whereas I was always like, I don't understand the difference. You borrow steal. But the amateur like borrows it and it's just very clearly the other person's version of it but the artist will steal it where they make it their own and you don't even necessarily realize that they took it from somebody else it took me 50 years in this world to understand that phrase 
Yeah, and AI doesn't have the consciousness to steal. I mean, yet it, it will always borrow. It will always borrow. Yeah, because it's know? more like it predi- will never make it its text. own. Yeah, like it's just predictive text. Like it just gets like what's the most probable word to come next, and and I think too with an audience that's getting so savvy, like the formulas that were working before aren't working anymore, and I think that's why no. great scenes are so important because every movie that comes out is kind of. A variation of something that's come before it and audiences are starting to get too smart for that we have to be more creative and ingenious with story structure and where stories are going because i mean we've seen the movies we've seen them all yeah so uh i don't yeah, think I, ai is going to be able to do that and and it's tough as a screenwriter because you're right of just like god how do i stay a step ahead but i i tell you the secret to it this is the absolute secret to it it is fun to kind of stay ahead of them plot-wise or moment-wise. Like that's fun to do and it's a real challenge. But the key is emotional sincerity. Like that is always going to be the key. Like if you see a movie that you've kind of seen this plot before, but the moments, the emotional moments inside it are different. The emotional reactions inside it are different. How you approach it from uh, from a, a humanity perspective is different. It will feel unique. And even if it doesn't feel unique, it will still move them. And they'll be like, yeah, I've seen that before, but it felt different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love movies that feel like, for whatever reason, Tremors comes to mind, which is like a 30-year-old movie at this point. But it's a 1950s horror movie. Like that's yeah. all Tremors is. It's a 1950s horror movie, and it's got some new things about like Jaws in the sand instead of in the ocean and things like that. But what makes that movie work is the relationships in it, and 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 Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon and like the emotions in it, and like this goofy friendship. And at the end, like he kisses the girl, and you've seen him kiss the girl like a hundred times but now it's like that character kissing this girl and that's kind of interesting and with audiences getting so sophisticated it is going to be harder and harder to stay ahead of them from a structure standpoint and from a sleight of hand standpoint and a, a horror standpoint but you'll always be able to connect with them emotionally when you're just writing with emotional honesty that's still going to be the main connection with the audience is just being emotionally sincere and having a moments that work emotionally and if you elevate in that area the audience is so forgiving in the other areas mm-hmm. like they'll they'll forgive if you move them and they have an emotional reaction to it they're not going to worry so much about the plot that being said if you can surprise them plot wise and move them emotionally then then grand you're just slam. Making, yeah then you're at the grand slam then you're just making great movies at that point it's it's great to use horror as an example because i find horror audiences are the most forgiving if you give them what they want like if you give yeah. them what they pay for like think of like friday the 13th like if they made a new one today and i i word is they are they don't have to reinvent the wheel plot wise people know how it's going to start and how it's going to end but you just need to pay off on those kills and if those kills are fun the movie's fantastic yeah. And then, and that's why people, it, it, I think it's a big, a big difference now that you mention it because Platinum Dunes did the remake of Friday the 13th and they did the remake to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I remember I was a writer and my agent called and said like, Hey, they're doing 
a remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he pitched me like what they wanted. They wanted someone investigating this. And like they had this whole idea of like reinventing the sequel or reinventing the remake. Or And I was like, that doesn't interest me at, at all. Like, I don't know. I don't know what I can bring to that. So I just even declined the pitch. I didn't even I didn't even pitch for it. And and then when they came out, it was oh, it's a pretty faithful remake. <laughs> yeah, it's a good looking remake, and it was definitely Hollywoodized. Like it, like it yeah. wasn't as insane, which was the innovation of the original. Like it was like it was just how insane that movie is. You're watching someone go insane, and and like that's what makes that unique. And then there's no way to kind of recapture that. Like that's going to be, but it was delivering what we wanted. Mm-hmm. Like it was, and so it's like everyone was like, you know, it's not bad. It's not. <laughs> yeah. it, it's okay. Like it's worth seeing. Go see it. And Jessica Beale is hot. And like this is like like. But then when they remade Friday the Thirteenth, he had a tunnel system down below, and it was like, well, that's not what we wanted. Like we didn't want someone getting killed with a throwing axe. And it's the exact same company. But yeah. one, they tried to reinvent it. They tried to like create something new. And then the other one was like, yeah, we'll pretty much just tell the same story, but with a bigger budget. And uh, and like, w- is there a need for that remake? Nope. Nope. <laughs> you know, there was no need for it. But it it was at least like kind of what we wanted is a leather face killing people with a chainsaw. Yeah. Uh, I was like, and, and then Jason in the remake was like, it made no sense. And like. Someone was missing for a while and then came back and like the, the World War II Japanese soldier on the island tunnel system. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the one guy in the world who likes the tunnel system. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of <laughs> like the remake a little bit, but I think he's a different Jason. I think he's an alive Jason, whereas the the 1980s Jason is like questionably a waterlogged zombie yeah <laughs> there's there's a lot of different versions of jason like <laughs> like watching this if you look at the first franchise it's definitely the story of how jason became a zombie yes like that's like all these stories together but i would love another crack at fire to the 13th you know what remake i really want is is prom night oh really, yeah like that is such an underrated and talk about emotional reactions that to this day is one of my favorite 80s slasher films because of my emotional reaction to that ending of prom night Mm. of just how heartbreaking i find that moment and then of course the remake i don't have no i couldn't why i couldn't even sit through it it's a couldn't even sit through it and i I once pitched a producer on like remaking like because they were going to remake the fog again again they were going to do the again because they screwed up the like they screwed up so bad and they're like okay maybe we can do it again and I was like, well, can we can we do another version of prom night? <laughs> if we're gonna do the can fog, we? can we do prom night? Yeah, if we're gonna do the fog, we can do prom night. And they're like, no, it's not, it's not canon as much as as the fog is. I don't think we can do another version. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would love to see a remake of prom night. So you were you were recently in LA picketing. Uh what's yeah. the what's the temperature like on the on the front line right now? What are what are all the writers saying, how are they feeling? Um, yeah, so I, I live in Houston and I've split my time between LA and Houston the last, you know, 20, 27 years or so. And I moved back to get married, uh, about four years ago. So the last strike in 2007, I was also in Houston. So I missed that one. 
and I didn't go out to strike. And I always felt guilty that I didn't go out to strike with everybody. Uh, so this one, I was not going to let that happen again. So I flew out. I went to Disney uh, and then went to Warner Brothers. And I was surprised how high spirits are, um, how determined everybody is. SAG helped a lot. Yeah, I think having the actors out there helps a little. (laughs) It just, it was such good new energy, new blood, just like rejuvenated everybody. It made them feel even more part of like, it's not just us. Like this system is broken. This system is not working for the people who are creating these things that are making so many people ridiculously wealthy. And I left primarily as as a screenwriter, as a professional screenwriter, I left with just a whole lot of gratitude towards those that have been there from day one, that are out there three times a week. And, and, you know, I talked to some other, some other buddies of mine and they're like going out three times a week, minimum, like that's their minimum. That's what they do. They go out three times a week and and I'm, I'm in, you know, my AC in Houston. (laughs) And so just really, really grateful to the captain to organize it really well. We are a strikey guild. Like we're not afraid to strike. It's, it is in our DNA. It's in our infrastructure. We have strike captain, like we have guild captains. And the day we go to strike, those guild captains turn into strike captains. <laughs> like we've got like a system for we're we're like the Minutemen. Like we've got like a little Minutemen group of like, oh, oh we're going to war. Everyone grab their musket. Surprise, we're surprise. Going. The writers can the writers have structure. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Uh, and, and we were and we were formed by a bunch of communists. You know, like, like, <laughs> we were like like the, a bunch of communists built the WGA. And so SAG doesn't really have that system. So they're like, they're a little more disorganized. And of course the WGA, like people are going to the WGA and what do we do? And they're like, oh, go talk to your strike captain. And SAG's like, what, who, what, (laughs) what captains? We have captains and they don't because they don't strike as like we do. Uh, So that's been kind of fun of like getting them to, uh, you know, organize a little better and, and getting that energy. So I'm just really thankful to the strike captains. I'm really thankful to the negotiating committee, which I think is doing a really good job. I have tremendous faith in their leadership. They're just smart Fran. people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was referring to the WGA leadership, but oh. yes, I, I hope SAG feels the same way about that. <laughs> but as an observer of the industry watching this happen, I think think we're going to win that's good and i think it's primarily because everyone knows our guild our profession is at stake yeah we can't lose like we can't yeah it's and, like a now we, or never right like if it's if we now or never yeah if we don't I, set it, in these rules in place then ai if, they're gonna if, let ai take everything and then stories yeah. are gonna get shittier <laughs> yeah because they don't know any better like the ceos don't know what we do there's people who run the studios that know what we do. And and I think for the most part, they're at the very minimum sympathetic because they know what we do. They understand the processes. They understand. They may think AI will be more helpful than we do, but they get it. The people running the corporations that own the studios who make these decisions do not understand what we do. Mm-hmm. So like that's that's a that's a dilemma. 
But as Chris Kaiser said, those guys are fighting over a dollar. They're fighting to save money. They're fighting to try to make content cheaper. We are fighting for our profession. We're fighting for our careers. We're fighting for our pensions. We're fighting for an art form that we have devoted our life to. Like our motivation to fight and keep going and win. They've got more money than we do. So that will be their like their route to hold out longer. But we're fighting for everything we live for. We'll hold out as long as we have to. They cannot break us because we're fighting for everything that makes our lives good. And we're united. So like I I don't know how they can keep going without stockholders, stakeholders, like their their boards, their voters. Like I don't know how long they could keep going without people going, we need to make movies. We need to make TV. Mm-hmm. Whereas like we'll hold out as long as we have to because we have no choice. Yeah. And the longer this goes on, the longer the gap in them releasing content. And that the longer it goes on, the more it's going to hurt them. Yeah. Yeah, because they they got they went through their quarterly. They'll have to have another quarterly phone call, mm-hmm. and I don't know how they're going to sit there and talk to their shareholders and go, "Yeah, it's not worth us to make a deal with these people yet." I don't know how they do that. I don't know how they do that. Whereas for us, of like, well, we can't, we can't, like, like yeah. we won't even have a pension. We won't, e- we won't even have retirement. Right. Like they put they've essentially put you in a corner where you're making uh, so little that it's okay to just go on strike. Yeah. I mean, like that's a very funny point, because like a lot of the actors were like, well, we're going to run you out of our homes is like and they they would refer to like that moment in the Avengers of the Hulk going. My secret is I'm always angry. (laughs) It is like, like, oh, you're going to make us broke. Well, here's our secret. We're always broke. (laughs) We're broke now. We've been broke for (laughs) a hundred years. You have trained us, <laughs> trained us to to go through like a year without a job. You know, like like we'll yeah. we'll keep going. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know with the uh, you know with COVID very fresh in everybody's minds, it's just like we already did this. We can do it again. It's, yeah. We're just actually going to get something out of it this time. Yeah, was, like, we know yeah. how to shut it down. Yeah, in, in <laughs> twenty twenty, there was a lot of hopeful thinking. Like, oh, now's the time that we could all just like take a pause, maybe reevaluate things. You know, maybe even change government. Uh, yeah, like but... society really doesn't work the way it's going, and like we should figure something out. And then we're just like, nah. Now, and and it's not even just it's not even just SAG and the WGA like. Our grocery stores are on strike up here. Our liquor stores are on strike up here. Everybody's on strike people, everywhere. Every industry is fucked. <laughs> I I think people are tired. You yeah. know, they're just tired of it. They're tired of. I mean, it has been. I I I am of two minds of it because I I've been watching it happen where we have been systematically trying to devalue labor. We like that has been a huge part of corporate strategy, whether it's moving, you know, moving factories overseas and using cheap slave labor and in like third world countries to make our shoes, uh, you know, slightly better than slave labor to make our computer chips. And and it has been a corporate strategy for decades now to devalue labor and. It has been happening in middle America. I'm sure it's been happening in the manufacturing base in Canada. It's been going on a really long time. And my profession, for the most part, 
has been unsympathetic to it. Um, white collar America has been largely unsympathetic to it because we felt like it wasn't going to really affect us. Cause like, you know, like you're not going to move writing movies overseas. Like you're not going to do that. So we're protected. Now, like bankers, you're not going to move that overseas producers. You're not going to move, but now, oh, AI is coming. Well, now you can move this overseas. <laughs> like now you can do this. Yeah, now, you can do thirty jobs with one computer. Like, yeah, and and suddenly now I take no joy in saying it, but my elitist profession, who felt like we were untouched by the move by corporate movements, now it affects us, and so now we're worried. Now we're going to fight back. Now we're going to. But this has been happening. Uh, to our brothers and sisters for 30 years. And you'll see it in the small towns all over America. Manufacturing has left. There's no, there's, there's no work there anymore. You know, thank God for the unions. Thank God for the unions. And there's been a 30-year ad campaign, or not ad, but, but publicity campaign, marketing campaign, to blame the manufacturing leaving the country on unions. Unions have made it too expensive. Mm-hmm. You've been, and I bought it for a long time. I bought it for a long time. I was like, yeah, they can't. My brother's a part of the police union down here in Houston, and they got a sweetheart deal. There's no, they're like, there's no, there's no doubt about it. But now my brother is older and he can barely move. He's he was a cop for 27 years. His body is so beat up. And there's no way like this guy who like can't even get out of his chair sometimes because of his job for 20, like didn't earn what he got, you know, like, like that he earned it. Um, so like I bought that whole BS about, Oh, we'd love to stay here, but the unions God, if it wasn't for those unions, yeah, we'd still be making cars in Detroit. Unions killed Detroit. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, well, it wasn't green. It was unions. Yeah. yeah. And it was, we we want to devalue labor. If we devalue labor, we can make this stuff cheaper and we can sell it to you cheaper. Now, the problem is, is that after 30 or 40 or 50 years of doing that, there's no one left with jobs who can buy your cheap stuff. Yeah. Because trickle down economics is not real. <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the way, because this is not a good example of trickle down. This is... <laughs> This is actually an example of corporate greed. This is this isn't even capitalism. This is crony capitalism. It's not even a good example of capitalism. It, you know, like it's it's systematic devaluing of humanity in order to have cheaper goods so the top 1% gets richer and richer and everyone else for a while gets the quick fix of oh my gosh, I can buy a table at yeah, Walmart. Yeah. We've all, Fantastic. We, we've all gotten so used to being able to afford things that we never would have imagined. And now yeah. the problem, too, is that like they've hooked us, you know, like we're yeah. we're addicted to it. And now yeah. we could never imagine going back. Like, yeah. Like and now we're just printing dollars and printing dollars. And now the inflation is just eating up all the <laughs> eating up the buying power that we got. Like you cannot sustain it. You cannot sustain it. And. Like, yeah, you can close your shop and go work for Walmart because Walmart ran your shop out of business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, like, are you better off? Like, like, are you yeah. better off now? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that table doesn't last anymore. That table you buy at Walmart is now cheap shit. 
that you have to go buy another table in two or three years. Like no one buys tables and passes it down to their kids anymore. No. Like that doesn't happen. So you can't even pass iPhones down to your kids three years later. <laughs> yeah. Like I love I love that we started talking about ghosts and now we're all just I was like, just gonna we're just say like, that. Mm, just old <laughs> mad. Talk about talk about bad imprints. We're all gonna be like striking ghosts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be great yeah the warner brother lot it's perpetually haunted by people with uh with, with like really witty signs for the next hundred years <laughs> get your emf reader. Prince, man yeah you can't you can't Energy hear it when you Prince. record it right away but when you go home you can hear like better wages <laughs> <laughs> oh tom thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us man where can people see the haunting of the queen mary <laughs> oh yeah that movie that movie, Gary's movie, uh, it is uh, available on uh, VOD, Video On Demand. I think it's playing in a few theaters as well, but uh, mostly so they can say in theaters now uh, while they're on digital. It's one, one of those. Uh, so you see it there. And then, uh, you know, for me, more even more important, come to storyandplot.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that. I mean, if you enjoy today's free screenwriting lesson. <laughs> Yeah, if you if you enjoy screenwriting, uh, follow me uh, on Twitter at Story and Plot and uh, come to storyandplot.com. And if I have a really neat uh, cheat sheet, if you if you are interested in scene work, it's a scene to scene cheat sheet that uh, can kind of give you, I think, some like 35, 40 steps to think about after you write a scene to kind of go through it. You can get that at storyandplot.com slash cheat sheet. One word. Cool. Cheat sheet. <laughs> People love cheat sheets. No, it's true. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it, it has been great talking with you. One last question before we go. We like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Uh, if you could program any two movies at a drive-in, what's your dream double feature? And it could be ghost movies, you know, like what to watch before you watch Queen Mary. Or it could just be two movies that you think would pay really well together or completely I, like, guilty pleasure it's on my mind right now. So if you ask me next week, I could give you a different answer. Yeah. But if uh, you're asking me now, so I'll give you my answer now, uh, is the uh, Gary Sherman double feature of Vice Squad and Dead and Buried. Yeah. Oh, in, in that order, too? You think in that order? Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Let's watch the really grimy, uh, you know, like you know, bad cop versus even worse pimp movie before the. I, I the think ghost th- movie. I think the fact the fact that you asked that question gives me the like the, your instinct was to reverse the two, and now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting to like do the supernatural version first, okay. the supernatural story first. And then you go, real life is just as grimy. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Man, I love those movies. Those are both I saw Dead and Buried in a drive-in with my brother Lance when we were kids. Right When on. it was first out. We saw it in a drive-in. How, wait, wait, how old were you guys? Was this a kinder trauma moment? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I remember it. I remember that first scene of like, what the fuck? <laughs> and so I it came out in what, 82, 83? Somewhere so right I no, I think even I think it was 81. So I was probably 11 or 12 when okay. I saw Dead and Buried in a drive in in a strange town. We were on vacation. Oh, wow. In a, so we were need like there was nothing familiar around. So we were on vacation in, I believe, South Carolina watching this drive in and what my parents were thinking. I have no idea. <laughs> 
that's such Not- a, that's such a cool way to watch that movie. That's that's kind of oh. the exact experience of of that movie. That's so a, effective. That's a fun. So movie. effective. That's awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tom. We've oh, a- thanks for having me. I had a blast. Yeah, it was so fun. I'm. We should we should do more like screenwriting talks because like I, I'm I feel like I'm so in my element. <laughs> I, I would love it. Yeah, I, I'd be curious if your audience enjoys screenwriting talk. Let's let's like let's do this on a consistent basis. Yeah, hopefully we didn't we didn't bore them with the <laughs> with all of the capitalism discussions. Well, hey, if there's any huge weird developments with deals that we can't parse out, we might have to have you on to explain it to us. That sounds great. I said I do. I wish there was a way to like to monitor when people tune out and when they come back. <laughs> yeah. You know, we get like a really nice of like, oh, they like. They like the capitalism stuff. They like, they don't like storytelling stuff. <laughs> well, thanks again, Tom. Stay creepy, Thank dude. you. Thank you so much to Tom for joining us and talking about the Queen Mary and horror screenwriting and the strike and, you know, sitting down with us for over an hour. It was a big, deep discussion and we had a blast. If you want to check out the Queen Mary, it is out this weekend. It is on VOD and in limited theaters. So if you're in like a high ticket market like New York or L.A., you might be able to see it in theaters, uh, which I highly recommend. It's a very visual movie, and there's some really good scare sequences in it. But otherwise, rent it on VOD, and hopefully you have a really big screen at home. We'll be back again next week with another episode of the podcast. We're getting we're diving back into our summer horror double feature. But hit us up on Twitter at NOFS Podcast, in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord at NOFSPodcast.com slash Discord. Uh, let us know what you thought of The Haunting of the Queen Mary and what some of your dream haunted destinations are in America. And if you want to check out Tom's screenwriting courses and classes, you can check him out at storyandplot.com. Until next time. I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.